Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait What? Comics Podcast for Savage Critics website. Today, Graham McMillan and I have a bounty of superhero books under discussion for you, from Wolverine number 9 to the Flashpoint tie-ins, the Superman Project number 1, and Reverse Flash number 1. Also, James Robinson's latest issue of JLA, Earth X, Green Lantern Mosaic, Kirby Genesis number 1, Steve Englehart's Captain America, and much, much more. We hope you enjoy it. Jeff Lester. Graham McMillan, how are you, sir? I, I like the pause. There was a very dramatic pause there after I said your name. Yes, yes. Well, I was waiting in case you were going to, you know, bust a move. No, there, there's absolutely no move busting today. Uh, <laughs> it, it, I am far too tired to um, get away with any uh, busting or moving. <laughs> just sitting in a chair feeling tired that's, that's all i'm doing today wow and and why would that be sir oh the dog mm-hmm. um i you you have had pets in the past i'm correct in saying right yes absolutely when a pet gets sick uh i i not only become like an overprotective parent i become a really bad overprotective parent <laughs> to the point where like i just don't sleep well wow graham that's pretty amazing yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, well, what, what really happened was, so listeners, you're going to find out a lot of boring stuff about my life now. Uh, the dog on Tuesday did something to his eye, and the eye swelled up. And as you know, Jeff, we took him to the vet, and we ended up spending like four and a half hours or something at the vet, uh, finding out that he had something called a corneal ulcer, with the short version of which means something has taken a chunk out of his eye. Mm. Um, and so he has eye drops, he has antibiotics, he has the cone so he can't scratch his eye, because we're also thinking that maybe he'd scratched it and made it worse. Mm -hmm. But the upshot of that is, A, Kate and I are both ridiculously concerned about him and spending enough of time just sort of staring at him, as if somehow, like, his face will be like, I am healing fine. Um, (laughs) But more to the point, being, doing all that on Tuesday at the vet completely wiped out, like, any... Oh, I have got ahead of work. Right. <laughs> I, I had managed to the point where I'm just horribly behind with work now. Oof. Um, so, yeah, it's a mixture of, I mean, yesterday I was just entirely brain dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just worked until I, my brain was like, no, you have to stop. <laughs> you, you, had, you actually can't write anything more else now that's good. Um, wow. And then, like, there's just a lot done today. And also, because this is the way it always works without fail this is a week i have to do the catalog for brian oh no it yeah it really does it, yeah, really. it is one it's of those every things where every single month mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i will have a week that i will be completely slammed and that'll be the same week as the catalog yeah, every single month it's, it's stunning always the worst week of the month and not yeah not because it's it is some weird twist of fate thing yeah it's, it's never anything to do with the catalog itself something else something outside will always happen Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That'll just make my time at a, at a premium. <laughs> at the time where I need more time than any any other time. So, yeah. I think I've said time more in that, those few sentences than anyone ever should in one thing. <laughs> it's a time that comes at a time when I need more time, but I don't have more time. It's a strange time. <laughs> well, I am I am sorry to hear it, sir. This will probably be our, one of our more laconic... Uh, yeah, this, this, this will be the uh, no more Wolverine impressions, mostly the two of us just being like, so have you read anything? No. Have you read anything? No. No. 
Exactly. <laughs> Although I did, through the miracle of the internet, uh, read um, Flashpoint Reverse Flash number one. Oh, I bet, uh, I bet that was a, a highlight for you. <laughs> it was. So you haven't you haven't read it yet? Are no, I no, I have. That's why I'm saying I bet that was a highlight for you sarcastically. Okay. I, I just wanted read, to check. I've now read all the Flashpoint tie-ins. DC actually shipped me the last four in a preview yesterday. Oh my god. So that was which reverse flash and... No 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 no. The ones that are coming out next week, which is Hal Jordan, Canterbury Critic Cricket, which I'll go out and I'll live and say now, might be the worst comic I've read all year. Oh no uh, Green Arrow <laughs> Industries and Project Superman. That that's next week's. Wow. Well I have to admit, Canterbury Cricket was the one I was most interested in, so uh oh, do you wanna tell us a little yeah, bit about just, it? Just stop that foolishness now. <laughs> Um, I, I was I was curious about it, um, thinking that it was because it was a new character that there was, um, but also because they weren't telling you anything about the character that there's going to be some sort of stunning reveal. Right. There's not. Spoiler. <laughs> also, spoiler. Um, it's a character you've never seen before, who has a cliched and yet also called nonsensical uh, origin story. Um, some of the worst English accents that have appeared in comics in a long time. And that's saying things considering some of the recent DC comics. And really disappointing art from Rags Morales. Mm. Oh, it's sorry. just on, on almost every level, it's, a, it's, it's terrible. So Canterbury Cricket did not turn out to be uh, Ambush Bug or... No, no, but get this, he has a team called the Ambush Bugs that are him, Queen Bee, Blue Beetle... Uh, and I think they make up a character called the Cockroach. Ah, <laughs> uh, Canterbury Cricket and the Ambush Bugs. It sort of sounds... Oh, but like... the Ambush Bugs are dead by the time the story starts. You see them in Oh, flash. perfect. Okay, awesome. <laughs> so the only part that I would have enjoyed about the comic is gone by the time it starts. They appear in maybe three panels, one of which is, no joke... The cockroach being squashed by a machine. <laughs> the squish sound effect. Oh man, who who who's responsible for this? Uh, Mike Carlin is the writer, uh, and uh, Rex Morales is the artist. And honestly, it's really disappointing art from Rex Morales. Hmm. I'm not a massive Rex Morales fan, but at the same time, I also think that he has his charms. And yeah, and in in this book, I don't even think he has his charms. I, wow. I don't know if it's the inking. I don't know if it was rushed. I don't know what the deal is. Mm. But it, it's genuinely disappointing art from Rex Morales. Mm. It's a shame. He does, I don't, you know, either either whether it's inkers or if, if he has enough time with his own work. I mean, he spends a lot of time doing the, you know, giving his art sort of a fullness to it in the blacks and things. And I think when he gets rushed, that gets sketchier and everything gets flatter right off the bat as i recall so um i think that would be it'd be kind of a drag i have to admit to to have to see that and, and yeah it's just it's just very disappointing uh not disappointing and arguably the best of the flashpoint tie-ins is project superman mm, interesting uh if only because it pretty much zigs where i thought it was going to zag mm. and and in a good way and also gene hat art is pretty nice yeah, that's kind of awesome. It's Scott Snyder, uh, someone called Lowell Francis doing the script, who I'm not familiar with, uh, and Gene Ha. And it's um, Superman appears in exactly one panel in the first issue. Wow. 
and as a baby. It's it, you know what it is really. Mm-hmm. It's what if Captain America was a dick? <laughs> the the wow! Do you hear the ice cream fan? The ice cream truck, yeah, is cranked up really loud. Yeah, that's really bizarre. Um, it's the story. The plot is that the U.S. government decides it wants to create a superhero, mm-hmm. and it does so. But it literally creates a monster. It creates this man who has. It looks like all of Superman's superpowers. Mm-hmm. Um, but pretty much, it's not that he lacks the moral codes to deal with it. Uh, it's what if you gave Superman's powers to the 1950s Captain America? Mm-hmm. Um, and ends with the, the first issue ends with basically the government going, oh shit, we've created a monster. And then Superman's spaceship crash lands on Earth and you see him as a baby. Huh. Yeah, I know. It, it's one of those. It's like all the best of the Flashpoint series. Mm-hmm. It's a really good Elseworlds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the saving point, the saving grace of all of the Flashpoint series I've liked so far. Then I'm like, huh, this is interesting completely outside the idea of, oh, look, it's a grim and gritty DC. Right. Uh, it's like, for example, the opening of the Wonder Woman series is surprisingly good because before it gets grim and gritty it's young wonder woman and young aquaman meeting for the first time and it's actually a really cute scene um and then of course it's like and then she turned into a man eater he turned into an underwater dick (laughs) underwater dick uh so, well, let me ask you. I, um, as you know, uh, Savage Critic is currently running our Fear Itself Flashpoint Symposium, um, of which we only have the. It's very confusing because we had like something like six questions and we're being broken up into every other day posting type things. So, um, and I and I have to say I don't uh, you I don't know if you noticed, but Abe actually hyperlinked my name to the waffle window. To part one, which I think was like the best thing ever. I like just actually that that is the greatest, greatest thing. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's very, very awesome. It's also great that he's managed to uh, get our podcast name wrong every time. I mean, on purpose, of course. No, it's it's wonderful because I actually have cheated and read ahead. Oh yeah, used to do it, and it's it's spectacular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but I was curious, uh, since you've read it, this will, this will make things easier. You know, um, I think, think Jog sort of points out the idea that, that what Johns and DC are doing with the Flashpoint universe is kind of pointing to, like you said, the idea of like, what if DC books were really grim and gritty, essentially? Like, what if that sort of element of wonder or its its little saving grace was stripped out and you had just essentially uh, supposedly what everybody's clamoring for? What? But this, this is the thing. Like, DC has a history of doing this. Do you remember when Bruce Wayne was replaced by Azrael as mm-hmm. Batman? That was, and they gave interviews at the time saying this, the plot, the the idea behind that story is: so you want Batman to be violent in his war against crime? This is why that's a really bad idea. Like DC historically does this. Mm-hmm. So you think our books are corny? This is what happens when we do the books you think you want to read. Right. And it's uh, always weird. It's always weirdly facetious because it's not because they never really do it. They're like, right. here's our take on the parodic version of what we think you want to read. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? They're never like, let's 
let's just do it. It's always yes. like, you know, let's overdo it. Right. Well, and and maybe because I think that the the whole overdoing of it is the fact that that although they give a lot of elaborate lip service to oh we're different from doing the grim and gritty stuff they basically then go back to fetishizing it you know they always go back to the quote unquote acceptable boundaries of grim and gritty you know like it's kind of because they, they're like okay but we'll do identity crisis and it's totally okay like it's our new standard and you know Lots oh, of exciting it's, decapitations. It's talking, talking about that, um, mm-hmm. this week's Justice League, uh, I'm, I can't wait to see the reaction to it. The mm-hmm. last page has Donna Troy l- literally run through with a sword by Eclipsa. And, well, you know, it's Donna Troy. Mm-hmm. Donna Troy is not a character who lacks fans and yes. lacks passionate fans. And also, Donna Troy is a character who's been killed before. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, I kind of think this is... This is when my fanishness completely divorces from my sense of reality. I kind of think it's a fake out uh, because I don't think James Robinson would do that to the character. And that's what I mean by fanishness divorcing from reality because, I mean, look at James Robinson's career. Right. Um, Yeah. Well, do you think that there's going to be – do you think it might be the whole like, hey, like we're playing – you know, we only have – Three issues left. Let's go ahead and yeah, I, no, like... I, I think I think it's going to be reversed within the storyline itself, uh, mm-hmm. and that's partially because Donna appears in the cover to issue sixty, mm-hmm. and also it's uh, the the impaling itself is so um, I don't want to say offhand, mm-hmm. but it's kind of done really quickly, and it comes at the end of uh, a fight where that happens because Donna's told like you're the only person who can stand up to him so there's I mean he's leaving all manner of space for the next issue for Donna to basically get up from being impaled and say is that all you've got do you know what I mean like (laughs) by giving it by giving the fight such a build up I honestly think that it's a fake that will then like the next issue be revealed as you by killing me you've only made me stronger or something like that um but if it's not (laughs) Um, I I honestly can't wait to see the reaction. Yeah, because I think some people will go kind of ape. Yes, um, I think I think people will really go ape. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, and you know, I I don't know. I was I would say arguably justifiably, but I don't even know if that's technically true anymore. You know, I've got a very I'm very I do have that moment of like, well, you know, honestly, you've got these guys who are like, well, I've got three months left. There's well, that's this... just it. I mean, do you remember when Impact Comics... Do you remember Impact Comics from the 90s? Uh, I think so. Impact was DC's first attempt at doing the Archie superheroes. Yes. Right. So Impact decide They decide at, at some point that they're going to relaunch, and the relaunch is going to be Joe Quesada and maybe Mark Wade. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and But they, no one advanced they're doing this. Mm-hmm. And the, the superhero, the Comet, the, mm-hmm. the creators literally are like, let's go for fucking broke. And so they're, they go from, you know, basically sort of a Nova-esque character mm-hmm. to being like, hey, so you're actually dead. And by the way, you're also an alien. <laughs> <laughs> like, they literally are just like shock and top of shock. And it's kind of awesome because you can tell them being like, we're being cancelled in two months. Let's <laughs> do whatever we can. Right. And so it literally ends up being, I mean, it, I can't remember exactly, but it's something like you were an alien. And by the way, you are dead. You're a zombie superhero. <laughs> Which is spectacular. 
That's really funny. That well, so yeah, maybe maybe people are kind of going for broke like that. I or maybe not. I mean, there is that thing of I've certainly heard there a number of people be as I think Hibbs mentioned in our podcast, kind of that feeling of like, well, why should I read this for the next three months? Why don't I just jump off, save my money, and and DC's really making it easy for people to do that. There are essentially a lot of fill-ins happening between now and September. Yeah. Yeah, which I guess is just sort of, I mean, in theory, they've got, you know, inventory to burn through. It's it's not just that. According to uh, one of the retailer summits, apparently Didio just came right in and was like, we had to free up some people in order to get their books ready for the relaunch. Oh, wow. Right. Yeah, I guess that, that makes sense. And again, is kind of, I mean, it makes sense, but I'm like... Oh man, the poor retailers, you know. It's... Well, no, exactly. It, it's it's funny. I I got into a I I think the beginning of an argument with uh, Michael Duran from Userama uh, about the Superman thing yesterday, mm-hmm. because I called called it cowardly, and he was like, "It's not cowardly. It's pragmatic." And my point is, it's really cowardly for multiple reasons. Mm-hmm. But one of the reasons is it's really cowardly to do it and not give anyone any advance warning including the retailers who could have upped their orders because yeah. people genuinely wanted to read the Scar Music story. Yeah. Like, yeah. Of, all, of all the fill-ins to run and not give anyone a heads up on, like, mm-hmm. I think I, and I really like Chris, what Chris Robertson's doing in Grounded, yeah. but I honestly think more people would have bought the issue if they'd known it was the Scar Music crypto story that had been basically on the shelf for five years. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, that being said, it, it is... I find it – it's interesting. I'm like somewhere between pragmatic and cowardly, I, I sort of find it very mercenary. Like I was thinking about it today and it very much seems to me an idea that DC is not going to risk uh, losing control of the news cycle, I suppose. You know, like – which they arguably Wait, which, which Yeah, I was going to say, which is hilarious. I, if that's their plan because they, well, they've done it, a terrible job because – I my take on the whole Superman thing is basically not only has DC lost control of the news cycle, they have actually managed to fuck up the goodwill they got from the uh, the relaunch already. Right. Yeah, it, it's less than a month. Uh, yeah. I well, it, here's the thing. When I say news cycle, I guess what I'm thinking of is the larger news cycle. Like obviously, clearly, what they did not want was a repeat of the oh the the, the nine hundred. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or also Night Runner, the um, French Muslim Batman. Right, right. Where they're kind of like, you know, we we have those things, we want to do those things, but we want to have them, like, we want to have control of them. Yeah. So it's like they didn't want uh, a big surprise from, when I say the news cycle, I mean like the USA Today. Oh, yeah, you mean like news policies, news yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, which, which I think everybody's really aware of. And... um. You know, so it, 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 yeah, but that that doesn't make it. I mean, because I understand and to an extent even agree with what they've done, I don't think that doesn't make it cowardly. Because what it ultimately comes down to is they had a story that everyone believed in, and then they thought, oh, people might pay attention to this a bit much. Let's right. pull it and let's mm-hmm. pull it and not tell anyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To the point where I think Carpusic knew that his story was running before Chris Roberson did. George Price didn't find out until the day before it shipped mm-hmm. and he'd done the cover for it. No, I know. I mean, and... it's astoundingly how badly they did this. And they did it like this because they're ashamed of it. Mm-hmm. 
and they're ashamed of it because they know it's a shitty thing to do. Yeah, no, I think and, that's... And then the whole thing about that Rich was like, it's nothing to do with the Muslims, it's Superman saving kittens, is a such exceptional bullshit that I can't believe Rich is going with it. Right. And B, it's even trying to spin it that way and not just shutting up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like upsets me well i haven't read rich's take on it is it it's not rich's take on it is this it was pulled for content it had nothing to do with muslim superhero instead at some point during the story superman saved a kitten from the tree mm-hmm. superman saving a kitten from a tree was seen to be so wimpy and so at odds with dc being hardcore and their new relaunch that they pulled the entire book because of it. They were not aware that there was a Muslim superhero in there. What? He, yeah, wow. He's, he's just a, a, you know, a byproduct. Losing him is just an accident. It's really all about the kitten in the tree, which is, I mean, on almost every level, unbelievable. Right. And Rich's, Rich's offense is, that's why it's true. <laughs> it's so unbelievable and so embarrassing that it has to be true. Right, and that's but so he's putting this out, of course, as the sort of unofficial thing, like sources are telling him or whatever, like as yes. opposed to some no one's no, coming no. on. He's he's putting this out as mm-hmm. um, everyone thinks it's because they're racist, but this is the real truth. Right. Well, but he also says this is the real truth, which I've heard from sources, not so and so an editor at DC. Tells no, 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 no. Blah, it's it's, it's multiple sources. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Multiple unnamed sources. Yes. Right. So that is kind of the. Wow, that's that's. I mean, that's really... just. I mean, he's 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 either complicit in this or he's being exceptionally spot spun on this one. Yeah, I I I. And I, I kind of hope that he's in on it. Because well, if, he, if, he's, if he's complicit, then I kind of have more respect for him because if he genuinely has fallen for this... Right. I, it's like, no, you. I know you're smarter than this. Yeah, exactly. No, I think that I think that it's one of those things where they, you know, they contacted him with the idea of counter-programming, you know? Yeah, but it's the most, I mean, it's the most ludicrous kind of programming ever. And I can see why they think it works, because it is ludicrous, and because they get the, we're so intent on being hardcore that, you know, we weren't even paying attention to race. We're race blind. What are you talking about? Right, exactly. You know, we just want our comics to be hardcore. <laughs> and then you be like, ha ha, well, there you go, but they have the best of intentions. It's just, oh, it's it's horrible. Um, I'm trying to see where in the story. He says, I've spent the evening tracking down sources around the world, people who work at and for DC Comics. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't he doesn't name any of them. He also says DC are not making publishing decisions over Islamophobia. They're doing it over kittenphobia instead. And it, bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just bullshit. <laughs> There's no way that's true. There's no way. And the funny thing is, Kurt Busiek, who, you know, has come out of this better than anyone because his story finally gets published after five years on the shelf. Right. Um, he was the first one. He was the one poking the most fun out on Twitter. He was like, yeah, because there's no way that DC would just pull that page or redraw it. Right. They never do that. They'll pulp an entire comic. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, wow. Yeah. DC is, um, is doing an impressive job at looking utterly out of control. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's just it's horror ends. Mm-hmm. 
horrendous, horrendous, horrendous. But it's stunning because honestly, I when when DC were doing all the the relaunch news, I even said I think on Blog News Rama, you know, what should Marvel do? And I was just like, just wait. DC always right. screw up, <laughs> always screw up their own thing. I did not expect it to happen this quickly. I did not expect within a month for them to take all the excitement and goodwill and pretty much piss it down the drain. <laughs> Eh, I, you know, my, I mean, my, it, it will come back because it's yeah, been out exactly. for another two months. Right. But see, I'm like, it's really. early enough in the cycle of things that people forget about it by next month. Unless DC does something stupid next month, too, which I'm perfectly willing to believe. <laughs> you know? Well, well, here's the thing I think the Donna news in, mm-hmm. in Justice League is just going to extend this. I, I think DC is going to continually make not even like missteps. <laughs> But right. just things that will upset people, and it will become this weird chain where every single week there'll be something new to upset someone. Right, and because people are already kind of at... And are, uh, people are already at, what are they doing? It will turn into, why are they doing all these stupid things? <laughs> and that, that will become the narrative. The narrative will become, why are they... Uh, basically, DC is out of control. Why is all this happening? And I, I think that... I, I genuinely think we might be at the tipping point. Mm-hmm. Where it's already about to become that. Well, we will see. We will see. We, I think. So. I think a lot depends on Flashpoint in a way. Like I, I think the Flashpoint tie-ins are rapidly proving to be mostly a mistake. I think. Um, I see that. Know. That's interesting because I would say that I don't think I'd say that any of them aren't a mistake, but I will say there's definitely more that are actually readable than I expected. Well, yeah, there there are readable ones, which I think is is a is a good thing but i think that to me it's this idea of like okay you know here's dc we're ramping up qual you know we're ramping up the quantity of production starting in september that over you know this big relaunch that we are a reboot that we are you know sort of we've got all of our considerable resources behind here you've got Flashpoint, which is this big event that we've had all of our resources behind, and stuff is coming out, and it's kind of sloppy. Like, yeah, but, but at the same time, there, but... I don't know anyone who genuinely thought that the Flashpoint times weren't like crazy fill-ins by random people. Sure. So I, I'm not like if Flashpoint the series was terrible, mm-hmm. I think right. that would actually take hold. I think the no, I Flashpoint tie-ins are kind of shitty. I think mm-hmm. is just what most people were expecting. Right. Agreed. Um, but, but on the other hand, I think that's what a lot of people were expecting from, you know, when, when these 52 titles were rolled. Sure, but at the same time, I, th- I think it is more likely that people are on the fence slash positive about the 52 science than they were about the 20 Flashpoint spin uh, spin Agreed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I definitely feel that it confirms every, their worst theories. But I guess what I'm saying is is I think Flashpoint, at the book, you're right. The majority of it is writing on that. Uh, but I do think that it's very difficult to – like I, nobody was expecting much, and so I kind of feel like – it would have been easy to clear some of those expectations and actually work up product that could have gotten people excited. You know what I mean? Like that, like that, that flashpoint reverse flash that I just read, which was written by Scott Collins. I mean, it's, it's, it's a big poop of a comic, you know? I mean, it is not a good comic. Oh, it's fundamental. You're talking about the reverse flash one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Citizen Cold is so much worse. Reverse Flash really? is like the good Collins out of the Flashpoint miniseries. 
Oh boy, really? Citizen Cold is is just yeah. But the other interesting thing about Reverse Flash, and I said this on the, the when I reviewed it for Savage Critics, is uh, we know all that story. It's pretty much a recap book. It's of, a huge of, recap book, but yeah. of one issue. It's a recap of Flash number eight. It's not <laughs> even a recap of other comics. Yeah, it's yeah. like if you read that story. Yeah, I've kind of read this story. Well, a little bit. I mean, I do remember because I thought Flash Eight was actually constructed much better much, than this. Yeah, kind much, of. much more interestingly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This was the the whole like somebody like somebody didn't show Collins like it's that whole like um, show don't tell mistake. Like there's so much telling in Reverse Flash Number One. But there's do you not, no do you genuine feel, scenes. What's that? But do you not feel that all the way through Flashpoint? Flashpoint, the, the main series, is one of the most exposition-laden comics since Chris Claremont's X-Men days. Yes, but... Um, l- I mean, issue two is pretty much just scenes of people standing around saying, this is what you need to know. Right. Well, but here's the thing. there's To me, there's a huge difference. This is actually something I was talking to somebody about recently. Having two people talk is actually having one person drone on and on and on in a background in a, in a caption box for like eight pages is telling, you know what I mean? So even though flashpoint number two is you're absolutely right. It's people exchanging information, the way that people are exchanging information in the process of beating one another up, you know, torturing slash quasi asphyxiating somebody, you know, don't get me wrong. It's, it's exposition heavy, but it's the right way to do exposition, so to speak. Like the whole like having a bunch of dudes on a roof talking in issue number one, even though that is like not great superhero comics, there's still a level of the scene has a reason as, you know, not, you know, sources disagree as to how well put together it is. But I, you know, but that is so much different to me than like um in reverse flash number one where he's like i was the flash but nobody liked me so now i will change it and become you know i mean just really just terrible (laughs) stuff when you put it like that reverse flash sounds like he has the greatest origin ever i was the flash and nobody liked me so i became reverse flash hoping that the reverse would be true and everyone would like me (laughs) actually that would be kind of great like why not like I am double negative. Uh, yeah, no. Oh God, double negative. They're brothers. Ooh. Oh, do, do you see where I'm going with this? It's like Tomax and Zamot from GI Joe, which <laughs> remains one of my favorite like concepts ever. And because we've talked about my GI Joe love before, yes. I genuinely love what they've done with them in the IDW comics now. Oh yeah, they've killed one of them off, <laughs> and the other one is pretty much like, "What is the point of being alive if my brother is not alive?" It's kind of awesome. They made this weird existential G.I. Joe thing. Well, who, I would love to read an existential G.I. Joe comic, I have to admit. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he is... I mean, he's just... There's no... There's not a single word balloon uh, in Reverse Flash until... Blah, blah, blah. It just happens I have this in front of me, so I think I'm going to... Yeah. Leave um, and read it. It, it's it's the scene with I think uh, Barry and his friend that um, Doug 
Barry and his friend Doug. It's it's the very. It, it's first not word. the first word balloon is uh, on the tenth page. Oh, is it? And it is Barry saying, "Oh my God, I've just been hit by." After he gets hit by lightning. <laughs> well, and I don't know. Maybe there's a case where they're trying to to make a point with that. But I was just like, this really is like it's not really. You're right. There it is. I, I and, then, it. Then, and then the next word balloon. And this mm-hmm. is a comic, ladies and gentlemen. Is four pages later. Four pages later. And, I mean, and, and be... the best part, that's like maybe there's what, yeah. So in a twenty-page comic, there are six pages with word balloons on them. Two of those pages only have one word balloon on them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it 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 gets it's it's creeping towards like, oh no, Ultimates Volume Two, Number Twelve. There. Now, I mean, I had read this issue of uh, Wolverine that. Um, the I don't remember if it's I guess it was issue nine where Lord Deathstrike's introduced, and uh, Aaron has like Lord Deathstrike, Lord Deathstrike. Yeah. Oh my god, that's hilarious! So wait, so Lady Deathstrike was named Lady Deathstrike because there was a Deathstrike before, and now because there's a Lady Deathstrike, they've now had a Lord Deathstrike, or is yeah. it the first Deathstrike? I he speaks he does not i don't think he actually says a single word throughout the entire comic so we don't know he's just like this awesome assassin dude and i have to say it's it's a really well done comic it's uh you know it might be the one wolverine comic that uh, of the last few years that you would actually like i think just because it's um uh what's his name akuna is doing the art on it so. oh i was i was uh, rereading a reading for the first time, actually, a collection of um, Akuna's X-Men legacy work. Mm-hmm. He's such a good artist. I mean, yeah. he's, he's horrifically underrated. He's so good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, he is fantastic in this one in this one issue, um, which I don't know why it's not right in front of me. But uh, so there's like a four-page sequence that is totally wordless, um, but is clearly intentional because I, I didn't even notice that there was no dialogue in it until people started speaking again. I'm like, oh, right, because it was a four-page action sequence. There was dialogue setting it up. But once you get the the mute assassin, you know, who's, who's uh, he and Wolverine are trying to hunt down Mystique, it's just, I mean, it's really gorgeous, but it's actually really well put together. Um, so it's not like I'm... Uh, uh, in, uh, a crazed fanatic about the necessity of there being, you know, dialogue to make scenes actually happen. But sure, yeah, exactly. So I say with my secret, you know, anti-word balloon, yeah, anti-word balloon yeah. stance. Exactly. But I was, I was really shocked at how bad and first drafty uh, Reverse Flash was. Uh, I really was like, I, honestly, it's better than Citizen Cult. Well, just do why? Just out of curiosity. Citizen Gold people. is just is just it's just a shitty, shitty comic. It's, <laughs> it's, I can't even point to anything and be like, well, because of this, it's just really bad. It's um, it's the comic that your socially awkward, like twelve-year-old nephew would write mm-hmm. if you were like, okay, he's an anti-hero and he's got cold powers. Go right. Yeah, well, I have to say, reading reading this uh, this Reverse Flash number one, I was like, wow, this really reminds me of super early Image Comics and not in anything like a good way, you know? 
because it's it's just that classic like hey i know how to visually tell a story but in terms of like what actually goes on in terms of why there are scenes and why people talk and why things happen the way they happen it's kind of like oh, i'm uh, i'm not so clear about it that stuff doesn't count come on and so, just just think this is the publisher that um is getting very excited about giving Tony Daniel a comic to write and not draw. <laughs> it's true. I have to say, I was on Tony Daniel's blog. He kind of seems like a sweetheart. I'm kind of. I, I have to say, I think Tony Daniel is a a reasonable writer. He's not mm-hmm. good, but also he's no David Finch, shall right. we say? Uh, and I also think his pencils are much better than his finish art in almost every single occasion when they yeah. show his pencils. Although, you know what I saw the other day that blew my mind? Mm. Rob Liefeld uh, put up thumbnails for the Hawk and Dove issue one cover. Rob Liefeld's thumbnails were fucking great. Yeah, he's, his stuff looked – somebody pointed out like, oh my god, he's drawing feet. Like, he's... No, but it's not just that. Like Before he actually does his rendering, he is, his, his thumbnails are dynamic – like he's he has a, a sort of control over um shape that I honestly have never seen in his finished work. Huh. And I was kind of like, wow, if he could somehow just break out of his Rob Liefeld style, work with this the dynamism and simplicity that's in his thumbnails, and I'm talking like really simple. They're you know, they're just a step up from stick figures, but um and maintain his weird creativity. Like, right. he could actually genuinely start living up to that I am the Nez Kirby right. thing. Like, if he took it, took it, took a step back towards sort of a, a sort of toth like yeah. simplicity or something. Yeah, if someone basically sat him down and was like, here, look at Alex Toth's work, study it. No, really, study it. <laughs> I like, I don't know, I got weirdly fascinated after seeing this about the connections between Kirby and Liefeld. Because mm-hmm. if you think about it, Kirby came up with the Marvel Universe and all of, all of the stuff that we know are like, it's classic Kirby. When he was, what, late 40s, early 50s? Yeah. And then by the time he's doing New Gods and everything, he's late 50s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What if Liefeld, because Liefeld's got to be, what, 40 now? What if Liefeld yeah. is like 10 years away from actually being stunning? Right. Well, it, it's a great, It's a. it would be like a wonderful turn of events. I, I can pretty much tell you why it's not going to happen. Um... Uh, uh, you know, oh, that, there's so many reasons it's not going to happen. If, right. if nothing else, he keeps being congratulated for being Rob Liefeld. Well, he's, he's given no impetus to change. There's that, but he also just doesn't. He just doesn't produce enough. He doesn't. He he doesn't. You know. But, Kirby, what, but what if he can? Is what I'm saying. But he can't. You know what I mean? Like he's blown most of his deadlines uh, consistently throughout he just can't you know it would be awesome if he turned around and did don't get me wrong and clearly he once did back when he was you know on new mutants and barely knew what the hell he was doing but he he's not he just has not continued to he doesn't have the the chops to continue producing work for an extended period of time he does stuff and he either like does that sort of you know problematic second guessing yourself sort of thing that a lot of comic artists do or he just kind of gets to the point where he's like, eh, you know what? This is kind of hard, you know? Drawing like, comics it, is tough. It, it, well, it, and it really fucking is. Well, you know? I know, but I just like the way he said it. <laughs> yeah, but I kind of feel that. I've never seen anything that, that pointed to him, like, once he got past the stage of having 
a studio filled with assistants. Like, once it went back to being just him, he never manages to keep his deadlines, as far as I can tell, for anything like an extended period of time. I mean, you look at well, the... the Define extended period of time. Because didn't he do... Three months? Uh, no, because didn't he do, like, six, seven issues of a Deadpool series recently? I would be really surprised. I've never seen him do more than a two-parter. Like, I'm thinking of stuff, of course, admittedly, like when he and Loeb did the Heroes uh, Reborn or whatever it was, Return to Heroes Reborn. Yeah, Onslaught Reborn, I think. Thank you. Called. Yes, well, all I know is is that it took them, some, what, 14 months? Yeah, but how much of that is Loeb? Some, but not much. <laughs> Seriously, no, I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I, here's the thing. I'm actually not trying to really defend Liefeld here. Mm-hmm. It sounds like I am, but when I heard myself say that, I was like, "Shut up!" But um, <laughs> I don't know. I just, I, I, I am finding myself weirdly pulling for Liefeld to somehow change and yet maintain what I like about him. If that makes sense. It's like I want you to evolve in a very particular way, Rob. Right. I don't know. Go go uh, go to his website and you'll see. There's like one blown up thumbnail that is just great. There's also like t- not terrible pencils, but pretty dull pencils, and then a terrible, terrible, terrible um, colored illustration he's done. That's really not good. But at the bottom of a, of the most recent post, there's this blown up thumbnail, and I'm like, wow. If someone could, like, ink that well, mm-hmm. like, I'd buy that. <laughs> Interesting. And poking around on Wikipedia, it does look like you're right that Leafield did the was the regular artist on Deadpool Core and did the interior art for the first nine issues. Yeah, no, I just said, like, I honestly think at some point he could actually buckle down. Oh, God, I'm now looking at his Wikipedia page and I completely forgot how much he reminds me of Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. <laughs> He's 43 years old. Yeah, I'm saying yeah. 10 years from now, mm-hmm. I want to see what Rob Liefeld's doing. Yeah, yeah. I would be, I'd be mighty curious. Uh, I, I personally think, like I said, I just don't think he's got, got the wherewithal. But I would be kind of happy if he proves me wrong, not least of which because God knows people keep giving him work for reasons that totally I cannot he wrap my brain around. to sell. Yeah, I guess. I, mean, I, I remember when um, he did a, a two, three-issue stint with um, Gil Simone on Teen Titans. Mm-hmm. And everyone was basically like, what the fuck? Right. But the sales went up. And this was certainly Jeff John's run. Mm-hmm. So it's not like it was poorly selling. No, no, it's true. It's totally true. Um, and I think maybe he blew the deadline on that and then... <laughs> I, 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 I honestly can't tell you. Yeah, but, and I don't, think, I don't think that Onslaught Reborn sold especially well at all, I don't think. No, I, I'd, I'd, I'd be surprised. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm just sort of like... <laughs> Wait, I, I kind of, I, I, I'm trying to find like publishing dates for Onslaught Reborn. Because I, I do remember as well that it, it maybe started in one year and then finished like a couple of years see, later. that's it. For it's like a five-issue series. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As the guy who was, uh, who was writing the, um, the, the Comics Experience newsletter at a time, I was like, holy fuck, this was, you know, like I was like, I'm still writing about this? Like I'm still like... <laughs> this, this still, still happens? Yeah, exactly. It was just, oh my god. Right, the five-issue miniseries. Uh, and yeah, they kind of don't actually seem to help with the... Yes, I'm trying, I'm trying to find it too. Onslaught Reborn, where are you? 
So, hey, listen, can we have this fight about um, Kirby Genesis number one yet? Or... So, what, you, so what, you didn't like it? Well, here's the thing. I actually loved the first half of it. Uh, and then I thought it goes off the rails by the second half. And let me see if I can actually find the, the email where I... I, I... I have now got the publication dates of um, Onslaught Reborn, by the way. Ooh, and? First three months monthly. Uh-huh. Then <laughs> there is a six-month gap between <laughs> issue three and issue four. And then five-month gap between four and five. Wow, wow. Yeah, so... Yeah, something happened. <laughs> yeah, something must have happened, and who knows? Maybe, maybe it was. I'm digging up my email. I really. Oh, is this is this about the the Kirby? I I actually thought that the first half of the book, the the hook was so strong. Like you said, you you'd compared it to like sort of the Super Eight. Oh yeah, it's it's it's. J.J. Abrams doing Spielberg as done by Kurt Busiek. Yeah, exactly. But uh, I don't know. You know, the thing the thing that, that sort of frustrates me is by the time that the, that the Kirby stuff comes in, like the tone is wrong and hobbled. Like I kind of feel like it starts off really well and then shifts gears uncomfortably into what I would call kind of just another comic book kind of thing. You know, where all of a sudden you've got like, because he's populating it with all these Kirby characters that are popping up out of nowhere. Well, you know, based on this thing. And I just, I was like, that was the reason why I picked up the comic book in the first place. So I'm like, I'm really looking forward to this. And instead... You're like, this is is the worst part of the comic book. It was. It was. And I don't mean that in a way of like, oh, you know, which which means that this is all golden. It just meant that I I was like, huh, he somehow like didn't reconcile the tones properly to me. See, whereas I, I see that he's not reconciling the tones, but I also see that as intentional and I can go along with it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because for me... That is the point where everything for Kirby the character goes to shit. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I would, I would have more problem if the tone from the opening of the comic was maintained all the way through when things start going fucking insane. Like when I got, I can't remember the girl's name. Is it Lisa? Am I misremembering that? Uh, I'm not sure. When she basically becomes a Kirby character, right? Exactly. If it was still, if it still felt like J.J. Abrams doing Spielberg. And, you know, sense of wonder and the unknown. I don't know. No. I, feel, I feel like that is too violent a shift in terms of narrative for the tone to remain consistent. I feel like the tone has to feel like it's wrenching out of control. Well, but I'm not talking. I'm not talking about the. It would be one thing if the tone of the book, which I agree with. The problem is the way that the characters are talking, and and even before they transform into. Kirby characters, you know, all of a sudden, everyone starts talking differently in like a more regular comic book. So it's almost like I'm not I, I, I'm okay with things. Uh, I, I agree that you can't quite have that Spielbergy nostalgia y thing at the at the same pace. But I do think that there was like a real biffing in terms of the way that suddenly the characters talked differently because they had to in order to compress all the events into that space. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, it didn't strike me as like, oh, we're doing a different 
tone here, and it wasn't even really like the tone suddenly seemed that much like classic Jack Kirby, I don't know, dialogue or anything like that. It struck me as a, in order to get things done, I have to change gears to introduce this stuff, and in order to have that work, it's it's kind of like what when we're you know over at the round table we're sort of talking about the difference between the the storytelling styles of Fear Itself number one and Flashpoint in which one sort of more uh, Flashpoint's more sort of the traditional comic book shorthand and Fear Itself is I think failing but is taking that more sort of cinematic kind of approach uh, and I feel that in Kirby Genesis number one part of the problems is he shifts from one style to the next in a bad, you know, transmissions dropping out of the, the car kind of way. Hmm. I, uh, here's the thing. I didn't feel that, but I also can see why that might be the case. And you make me want to reread the comic to see if I pick up on, on a third read. Well, so, I, so yeah, well, points well made. Thank you. I guess like, because I I, 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 I think like, it's one of those things where like I think I disagree with you, but I also don't want to be like you're wrong because you right. might be entirely right. Right. Well, I at least I made the case for it that I could, but I see your point. But I think, uh, and and you know, this is one of those weird things where I have tremendous amount of respect for Kurt Busiek, but I also feel like I don't. I'm like unduly harsh i guess or something where i'm like there are things of his work that i really like and and, or pieces that he's done that i think are terrific but i think that there are also times where he misses the mark on stuff at least as far as i'm concerned and it's very rare that other people end up agreeing with me you know i in that sense i don't have a problem with it yeah i think so like i okay um i remember i know i I, by which i mean i i'm surprised that people don't agree with you as opposed to i i'm surprised that he can miss the mark right well i don't know to what extent i it's been a long time since i've made the case for it i think uh you know in in fact it may have been around the time that he you know, years and years ago when he did the the Return to Earth 2 storyline in Justice League. And I was just like, yeah, this isn't this isn't working. Like, I didn't even make it through all five parts, like at part two. I see that's interesting because I also dropped the book around that point. Yeah. And then where... went back and read it in trades and thought it worked much better. Mm, interesting. Well, then maybe that's what I should do. But I definitely found myself going. And, and part of that was certainly expectation. Like, I was kind of like, oh, boy, it's going to be, you know, uh, a lot of superhero punching and at like two issues in I was like man there is this thing is <laughs> there is no time. superhero punching yet yeah it's really taking I, well, time I, I think that's one of the reasons why it worked so much better for me in trades because I remember at the time not even thinking there's going to be a lot of superhero punching but thinking this isn't the story I thought I was getting and the art is so repellent to me yeah the art <laughs> that, that I'm not sticking around um, yeah. And it's a shame because I think Ron Garney can be an amazing artist. Like his later Marvel work has really shown this, and actually his earlier yeah. Marvel work showed that. But um, <laughs> no, basically, if he's another guy. If he gets the wrong inker, his work is almost offensive. Well, and he may not be. He may not be a team book person, too, right? Because I'm I'm trying to remember. I liked his stuff a lot on Wolverine, which is far from a team book, and. I don't know. I'm trying to think what else he did at Marvel where his stuff was popping. Wasn't it like Captain America Man stuff? Well, Captain America, right. So Captain America, also a good one. But like Justice League, I mean, it was, you know, some some artists are just not really like 
down for the team book experience. It's really hard. And when you've got like, you know, the classic, like there's the justice league and they're meeting their evil opposites. Like it can just really kind of fall apart. So, and I think maybe that's the case, but yeah, no, I remember that was kind of a, Oh no. How do you feel about Astro city overall? Is this like a, I, I really like Astro City. I came to Astro City late, and actually because of Hibbs. Oh, interesting. Hibbs pretty much was like, you should read Astro City for a long time, mm-hmm. um, before I finally did. And then when I read it, I was kind of like, I should have been reading this ages ago. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, but Hibbs really, really, really impressed on me that he thought I'd like Astro City, and he was completely right. But I resisted for a long time, in part because I actually don't like Marvels. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had, for some reason, made the connection that like Astro City was like Marvel's the series. Sure. And well, I it, and I was like, how they I, marketed it. Yeah, and I was like, I don't want to read that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I didn't like Marvels. Why Why would I like this? But no, I, I it turns out I actually like Astro City a lot. But again, it's one of these series that I have to read in trade. Yeah, I, I think that's I the other I thing. Can't read in single issues for me. Yeah, I, I find I, it really really slow. Mm-hmm. It it's it it is not worked. Like the few times I've signed up for stuff, it's like. It ends up slow, and it ends up slow, and publication is, like... Yeah, insane, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, there was one that... that was it the Dark Age mini? I don't remember. The, yeah, that's just it. Dark Ages is, like, the worst one in general, because the Dark Age is actually two minis. Mm-hmm. Actually, mm-hmm. it might even be four minis. It's definitely it, it, two it's collections. It's definitely more, yeah, exactly. It, exactly. It's definitely two collections, but yeah. the, the publication schedule was insane, and this, the way the story is structured... Mm-hmm. You kind of have to read it really close together. Otherwise, it makes no sense. Yeah. I mean, there's a time travel thread that literally, if you didn't read it, not if not in a one or then at least in the two collections, right? you would be like, okay, I don't even vaguely remember what's going on with this. Yeah. So why didn't you like Marvels? Oh, I just... Because uh, that's that, kind of it, a big one. It's you know? actually uh, Alex Ross. I don't like Marvels because of Alex Ross. Interesting. And did you not like Kingdom Come because of Alex Ross? Or I don't really like Kingdom Come either. Yeah, what, what's weird is I like a lot of things Alex Ross is involved in and doesn't necessarily do the art for. I, mm-hmm. I like Project Superheroes, uh, Superpowers. I mm-hmm. like um, Kirby. Mm-hmm. I liked uh, his sequel to Kingdom Come that he did with Jeff Johns and Justice Society. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, Alex Ross's art doing sequentials Mm-hmm. there's something that I just I'm like what no what <laughs> no I, you know do not want mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting you did you not like Earth X then or I haven't was well, I have read Earth X a long time ago and I've mm-hmm. actually been meaning to reread it and meaning to get a library and reread it uh, pretty much after finding out that it's just fills with the sort of 70s Kirby's characters who oh, yeah. I weren't really I wasn't really familiar with at the time I, I, oh interesting and I am now, and so I kind of want to go. I could be like, Devil Dinosaur, X-51, I know who you are now. But also, is that not meant to be almost comedically slow? Earth-X? I don't know. I don't know. You know, I didn't have a problem with it because it was a weird... Although that being said, I never made it all the way through the, the X trilogy. I just... You know, by the, was... Yeah, isn't there ultimately something like 40 issues of it, though? Yes, yeah, but the the way the collections break down, I think it's supposed to. I always assumed that it was designed to mirror the the Divine Comedy, so it's like Earth X, and then is it 
Purgatory X and then Paradise X? Is that how it works? Yeah. Um, no, it's, it's uh, Earth X, Universe X, and Paradise X. Right? Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so I always got the sense that it was mirrored on the Divine Comedy, but at some point through Universe X, I jumped off. But Earth X on its own, I actually thought was kind of one of the best sort of like one of the few true successors to uh, the sort of continuity stitching that Steve Englehart used to do back in Avengers and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Like it's very much this extension of like, oh, and so-and-so is actually related to so-and-so. And this is actually an extension of that, you know. It I... also helps that it's, I think it's, I want to say John Paul Leon. On yes, the yes it is. Yeah, exactly. So it seems to me like if there was a book that you would like, that Alex Ross was involved in, it might very well be that. Uh, it's funny. I thought because neither of us are really incredibly current with comics that um, we were going to have nothing to talk about. And you just mentioned Steve Englehart and that, that just made me go, bing. I have been rereading <laughs> Englehart's um, Captain America's. Ooh. Um, pretty much because I, I hadn't been to the store. I wanted something to read. I had the essential Captain America collections and I thought I'd read them. Mm-hmm. There really is just something exceptional about that work. I think so too. I mean, it's it's really, and it's not a nostalgia thing because I didn't grow up with that run. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's something just genuinely great. It's great pop fiction. Yeah. Not just yeah, in yeah. terms of plotting, but in, in, like in the execution, in the the narration, in the dialogue. Mm-hmm. It's really just it's fresh in a way that superhero comics today aren't, mm-hmm. and it's like forty years old. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's fresh, it's immediate. One of the things that I'm really impressed with uh with with Englehart on the Captain America run is is that he's he he manages to hit that just that I think that perfect balance for me between um he makes Captain America a very warm character, but also an incredibly kind of driven character and for the most part, he never talks about himself as like there's a lot less of the Captain America speechifying that sort of sets in, I feel like. Oh no, no, his Captain America is pretty much getting shit done. Yeah, he gets shit done, but it's the way that everyone else reacts to him that sort of brings in that idea that yeah, this guy kind of represents America, you know. Like it's 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 always in the way things are. I love the fact that there is that um the what's his name? The one armed pacifist, you know? Oh yeah, yeah. Um oh god, I read that story the other day. You're talking about the one where um Peggy Carter and Sharon or uh, Peggy and Cap are mm-hmm. on the run from God, who is it? Who's the villain? Doctor Faustus? Uh maybe? I think it's Faustus, yeah. Yeah, because um, of course now I'm like shit. Where, where, where is that in the run? I'm like, Christ, because I sort of remember him as this character that popped up a few times, and he was a conscientious objector. But he's a conscientious know. objector who gets—I don't know—gets an incredible amount of respect from Cap in a way that Cap doesn't respect any other character that way. Yes, exactly, exactly, and it's one of those deals where it's it's. I mean, it's obviously supposed to be a very relevant point. Um, you know, it's obviously Englehart is like, hey, you know what? Captain America would not be wanting to beat up war protesters, you know? Um, and it, it, But I remember that it really worked, in part because the first time I read it, it was just like, oh, here's a character and, 
you know, you're sort of, you're being spoon-fed everything, but, you know, in true Marvel style, but somehow I just did not feel like I was being hammered over the head with it. So, um, I, I don't know. I really, I kind of, I dug the way that he, you know, was playing with conceptions of America in the 70s and having his character go through that without necessarily having his character say, like, oh, I like America, I'm confused and must walk alone and try and find a new identity, you know. It's kind of like, yeah, I want to be a new superhero, and God, getting a cape was a stupid idea. Yeah, exactly. But also, I love that when that's going on, you get the other Captain Americas, and the other Captain Americas, first of all, that story is over really quickly. Yes. And also, when it ends, I love that the the last, like, the last Nets issue part of that story is basically like, you knew it was coming. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Even then, they're like, you know, come on. We we all knew. Um, But I love... Is it Roscoe? Is that the pro- the replacement cap who, yes, like, weirdly gets accepted by the Falcon really quickly? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> He's yeah. He's like, okay, well, Cap's W Cap. Hey, here, random guy from the Bronx. Right, random let's, guy let's, from let's, the Bronx. Let's yeah, up. I kind of love that. I kind yeah, of. Yeah, no. There's no. I mean, at no point does Engelar really um, degenerate the idea of Cap, but he's yes. also not elevating it too much either. He's right. like. Anyone can be Cap if they have a good heart. Yeah. Which I think everyone since then has missed. Yeah. They've always been like, oh, you've got to, you know, you've got to be America. You've got to understand what it be- means to be America. And right. I know it's pretty much like anyone can embody the country if they embody the country's best traits. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Perfectly put. Um, yeah. No, I love that stuff. The only thing, have you gotten to the end? I The one thing that bothers me is I always feel like the Engelhart is just I, I think that Cap stuff is just my absolute favorite stuff and then it falls apart at the very end with the transition to, to Frank Robbins yeah there's Frank Robbins there's of course things get wrapped up super quick for Kirby and arguably well, also he's off the book before then because it's because I I'm getting to the point where I've never read which is after Essential Volume 4 but before Kirby which is like mm-hmm. the first half of Essential 5 which I've just got the library Right. which is John Warner's writing, who may or may not be a pen name for Englehart. I believe that is. Because yeah. I know he did John Harkness. I'm not sure if John Warner is as well. No, I'm um, pretty but sure. But Tony Isabella is. takes over for like five issues. Uh, is it five? Oh, good Lord. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me. Like Frank Robbins is plotting, I guess, and Tony and Isabella seems to be scripting because they're listed as like storytellers. Right. Right, right, right. Huh. You know, I have to go back and revisit that. But yeah, no, exactly. It's all this stuff that really kind of falls apart because, you know, Engelhart's in the process of what I think is his most controversial thing and maybe I think a huge, huge mistake, uh, sort of deconstructing the Falcon at that point, and then, And then it's like he's gone. So it's like, yeah, he pretty, he pretty much gets as far as I have the Red Skull, I have created the Falcon, and he's off the book, or he's being John Warner, which normally when he takes on a, a pen name means he's being rewritten. Yeah, he's being rewritten, or he's not happy with the 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 his, how he's been ordered to rewrite things. So I mean, God knows, I'm sure if we went on Steve Englehart's website, he would uh, he, yeah, lay well, out. Yeah, no, you can't believe anything Steve Englehart says on his website because Steve Englehart takes credit for everything yes, on his yes. website. He's like, yeah, so remember X-Men was selling spectacularly well. It's because I, five years before that, 
Right. Had the X Men guest starring Captain America. Captain America and, and like, yeah, build up. Seriously? No. No. I mean, God bless you, but no. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. But I would be curious. Like, I should dig around because I just remember there was that whole thing of like, oh, no, Sam Wilson, he's not a social worker. He's a criminal. Of course. Hello. Snap Snap Wilson. Snap Wilson. Exactly. Which I was just like, whoa, what are you like? Dude, no. You know. Did did you read the the, um, Christopher Priest stuff where Snap Wilson is revealed to be Sam Wilson's like schizophrenic other half? No. No, I didn't. Was yeah, that yeah, Captain he, America and the Falcon or yeah. something? Or, mm. Yeah, he actually has a, like, a, a, a sort of pimp-talking alter ego, like, because he has a psychotic break called Snap, mm. which is both, like, funny and just horrible. Uh, yeah. Googling has told me that John Warner is not Steve Englehart. Really? Yes. Interesting. Fascinating. Did, is, he's actually him? He's actually someone called John Warner. I'll be darned. Well, John Warner, I apologize for not giving you enough credit. Uh, he apparently did lots of stuff with Warren. Well, and he did, I want to say Satana and maybe stopped, stepped in and did like a few issues of Son of Satan at one point, which again, I think he had either followed Gerber or Engelhart so closely that I thought that he was... Uh, yeah, exactly. He was essentially Engelhart. But yeah. Engelhart, Engelhart stuff was great right there because he really was, like rereading all the stuff made me remember. He just like took his stories from book to book. He was fearless in that. Yeah, yeah, he totally was. Well, and he had a little Englehart verse. I mean, I really do think he doesn't get enough credit in the way that, you know, as I recall, the whole rocks and oil was definitely him. And people have continued to to use Roxon as sort of a default corporate bad guy in the Marvel Universe. Now, admittedly, there are guys like, I mean, I, you know, Brubaker was a huge... Englehart fan, and I think is always oh, but, yeah, Brubaker. I, yeah, I think Brubaker's uh, Captain America slash Secret Avengers slash almost everything he's done, Marvel with the exception of X Men, has yeah. been a love letter to Englehart. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I think so too. Absolutely, which I, I have to appreciate. I mean, we've got very shared tastes in that regard. Uh, but yeah, no, Englehart stuff's great, and I would love to. I'm looking forward to uh, revisiting uh, his Avengers stuff too, because again, that's things where it's like I, I was cleaning up my storage space. Part of the reason why I'm behind on comic books for this week is and I don't know if I told you this, but Monday I took 20 boxes of books out of the storage space. I guess it was like 22 and like just sold them. Like I had to cut down on space. There was all this stuff and I let a lot of stuff go. It was kind of amazing. That, Here's the thing. Do you feel good? I'm not sure how I feel, actually. There's part of me that, yeah, I think I generally feel good for the accomplishment side of things. It Part of the problem is I still have, like, maybe another, I don't know, 16 boxes left of stuff that I just could not. When I, when I left Britain for America, I mm-hmm. gave away, let's say, 99.9% of all my comics, uh, which is thousands of comics. Right. I literally gave them away to a friend. Like, they filled her car entirely. The only space she had was the driver's seat. They were even right. in the passenger seat. They were everywhere. Yeah. Um, And at the time, I was kind of like, oh, my God, I'm giving away so much shit. I'm like, this is insane. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But really, like, a couple of days afterwards, I was like, I feel really good about that. 
Yeah, I think I'm sort of caught somewhere in between the two. I think maybe if it was like I was had given away everything, maybe I would feel the same, I think. But I still kind of need the storage space. I'm still paying the rent on it. I still have stuff that I need to... to... And again, it got to the point where I'm like... I'm planning, you know, it's like I've got that Avengers uh, DVD that I'm totally looking forward to attacking everything on the iPad, but because it doesn't have the fucking giant size Avengers from that era, I'm like, ah, do I, can I really get rid of this stuff? Like, you know, maybe I should keep a hold of this, if nothing else. Why did you just keep a hold of the giant size? uh, Right. Or the Celestial Madonna trade or something like that, you know? Like, although I don't know if the Celestial Madonna has giant size 2, 3, and 4. I'm going to say it doesn't. You could always just buy the Essentials collections. Yeah, which I have. (laughs) I've got the original issues, I've got the Essentials, and I've got a couple of the trades, Graham. I'm just a nightmare. So that's the other thing, where it's like a lot of the stuff that I got rid of, I was like... This is like my third time around. Like, I just have to stop buying some of these storylines altogether. Uh, but yeah, no, I felt I felt both great, great, but also unsettled. Because I still have all my long boxes of comics. I still have, like, 15 boxes of books. And I still went out and got the uh, OMAC action figure that Ian Brill mentioned over the weekend. And it's kind of awesome. Oh god, I didn't I didn't see that. I didn't even know there was an OMAC action figure. Oh my god, really? Okay, let's see if you Oh go my to, god. Ah, uh, you had to make that joke. Um yeah, if you go to uh just go to uh Amazon, actually, and you can look at just type in OMAC oh, action yeah, figure. Yeah, is the DC Universe Classic Series fifteen? Uh yes. Yeah. Where He kinda kind of, looks awesome. Yeah, he's really great. Like once I saw him I'm like, oh my god. He's 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 kind of a it, He's much more Kirby-ish than I would have thought. He actually comes with a little brother eye button, which was kind of neat. Um, and he also you also get like Validus's like left arm or something like that. Oh, so, see, are you tempted to now get the rest of Validus? You know, I, if the other figures were more interesting to me, I mean, I have to say, like right, those yes. series, no, because so, seriously, so yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really am close. Oh my god! Wait, 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 wait! Stop the press, as yes. uh, Prince once said. <laughs> According to this, yes, you can buy the original color guides for OMAC on Amazon for thirty dollars, like what? thirty dollars a page. What, I'm, I'm not shitting you. I just typed an OMAC into Amazon and it came up. Oh my god, Graham! What are you talking about? That, I, I'm that's... not joking. <laughs> Where motherfuck? Oh my god! All right, where am Can I? Can you see it? Not yet. No. In fact, I'm going to have to say no. I see the individual comics. I typed OMAC. Um, I just typed OMAC. You just typed you... into into Amazon. I didn't have any other settings. Okay. And it links uh, it links to Sketch Maven that is really sen- selling these pages for thirty five dollars. I've, uh, I've just sent you uh, a link. Yeah, let me let me check that because it is not coming up. Coming up for me. Oh my god, they've got a co- a cover. What? Someone selling have, a they cover? Have, they, have, for... they have the color. It's the color guide. Wow. So it's not the original art. Mm-hmm. For issue five. Okay, let me look at this bullshit. Hold on. bullshit or what you mean is something you really really want yeah i'm kind of like by which i mean like shit that i cannot believe that you're looking at and then i'm not because i'm like 
Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. Uh, once I put an OMAC color guide. This is a one of a hand, one of a kind hand drawn color guide by Jerry Serp over copied artwork by Jack Kirby. Oh, okay. Seven by 10 mm. for $35. Wow. Wow. So it's, so it's not the, it's a one of a kind hand drawn color guide by Jerry Serp over copied artwork by Jack Kirby. This piece used to produce the actual comic book. Yeah, because look at the markings in the bottom and the top. It's loading. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> I wish I didn't know about this because I can see myself spending too much money. Oh, my holy, God. Holy crap. Well, obviously, I should just type random things into Amazon. Well. Exactly. Go, go, go. <laughs> Seriously, what comes up with you when you type Devil Dinosaur? I really want to know now. Um, oh, I'm going to type Devil Dinosaur just to see. Yeah. There, there's no way that you're going to get that as well. It, only two things. <laughs> One of which is a Devil Dinosaur mini bust. Really? They did a mini bust for... Yeah, okay. they did. It looks you know awesome. <laughs> it's really it's, it's far too expensive. Though. Man, look at this. Yeah, no, he apparently has these these color guys. God, I sort of want to edit this part out because part of me is like, I don't want anyone buying these. <laughs> oh, come on. By the time this goes up, you're either going to have bought them or not. Right. No, I know. And I'm sure I won't buy them, but but they do look I'm, kind of I'm, I'm kind of tempted to buy them. Are you? $35, you Jeff, $35. <laughs> well, I have to say, this has been one of our Stranger podcasts. Uh, oh, oh, shit. Well, never mind. I'm like, oh, hey, I know what I talk about for a podcast. Green Lantern Mosaic is the weirdest fucking comic book. No, it is. <laughs> I'm like at issue five or something like oh, that. Oh, that, that's the one where he fights Hal and like he splits into multiple people and Hal can only split into multiple versions of himself. Yes. Right. Oh, I, I fucking love that comic. <laughs> I, I really do. I'm not, not joking. I think that comic is spectacular. It is so goddamn strange. I mean, I think that it's interesting, but there is something that's very like it's interesting because it's certainly this is not the. I obviously skipped over Jacob's era, so it's not the um, it's not the John Stewart that I'm used to. So it's a very weird take on the character. Mm-hmm. And on whereas, the one whereas hand, for me, it's actually like my take on the character. Like it's the one I'm most familiar with. Wow. Which is why I find almost everything else that's done with the character, especially the cartoon where he's like all military gung ho, to be like wrong, just just right. outright wrong. Well, I actually thought that Englehart did a great job with him back when he was back when he brought back Stuart or maybe it was was it Ween and and um Ween brought him back and then uh Engelhart was Ween brought him back with uh Dave Gibbons and right, Dave um, Gibbons, yeah and then pretty much Engelhart within like Staten. yeah pretty much within like the first issue of Engelhart run Engelhart was like he's taking off the mask he's just decided to be, be public of who he is mm-hmm. which again is like Engelhart doing something different yeah yeah but as I recall, he did a he did a pretty great job of making John Stewart be his own man, and not it wasn't so like constantly confrontational, sort of jive turkeyish kind of stuff. Yeah, you know? no, no, yeah, right. Um, and then you know, Green Lantern Mosaic is such a. Um, I really honestly don't think that it's a good comic book, but I think it's a mesmerizing one, and it kind of reminds me of. Like I'm like, oh, this is Graham's Don McGregor comic. You know? Oh, it might be. I mean, uh, when was it? It came out in like ninety. 
91? Uh, yeah, I think so. So yeah, yeah, let's say I'm like 17 when it's coming out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 17 yeah. years. So, so it, it, it very much could be. Yeah. I mean, it, it's also, it's great to read a comic book that's clearly trying to, it's way more indebted to uh, Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man than than most comic books. You know what I mean? Like, if you were asking what his influences were, but at the same time, I'm also kind of like, I, I appreciate the fact that he's swinging for the fences, but each issue so barely makes any lick of sense to me in in so many ways that I'm like, eh, you know. But fascinating reading. I have to say that I'm really, really fascinated by, by checking it out and seeing why. I kind of see why DC would be uncomfortable with trying to collect it, even. Oh, I don't, I don't think anyone would buy it. I, I think, it, like, the reviews would just be, what the fuck? Yeah, right. Seriously, people really would be. So anyway, I, I, I don't mean to jump off from, from what we were talking about, but I'm like, oh, shit, right, comics. I did read comics at some point this guy, this whole long, unending week. Yeah, and we, um, we didn't even get to talk about the death of uh, Spider-Man. Oh, right, exactly. Which, did you read that? I Yes. Yeah. And... Uh, let's just say I'm so glad that it's getting, like, five-star reviews on CBR, but they must have read a different comic. Oh really? It's oh. it's fine. It's like it's Bendis going through the Bendis motions. The plus mm-hmm. side is the Bendis motions are, you know, reasonable. He he right. he's good at character work and essentially it's a character based comic. But um, the whole storyline is just a fucking mess. It right. the the last page is Spider Man actually dying. Right. So you get no aftermath, but you do get an advertisement for Ultimate Fallout, and it's like really there's nothing satisfying about this comic. Well, it, you know, I have to say the the leaked page from the from the New York Post, I was kind of like, oh, that's actually not a terrible death scene. Like, if you're going to do it that way, that makes a certain amount of sense to me. But, but on the and I have to get, you know, definitely, I was like, okay, well, I think the problem is is when you jump up and down for like six months, saying like it's Ultimate Death of Spider-Man, and we're going to do something that's never been done, and it's kind of like. Okay, all you really have to do is kill Spider-Man. Yeah, is kill Spider-Man. And on the one hand, they did that. And I guess it's this weird, like, I guess I can congratulate you for not chickening out. You know what I mean? No, that, that, yeah, that's just it. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. like, it almost becomes groundbreaking by doing what it said it was going to do. Yeah. But at the same time, people get really, like, upset that it did what it said it was going to do. They're like, it spoils it. It's like, no, they said they were going to kill Spider-Man. They killed Spider-Man. No, but I totally, I totally know what they mean. They, when they say they're going to kill Spider-Man, it's like, how does he die? What happens? It's like... Yeah, but here's the thing. If you'd read all the story up until issue, like, the end of 159, Mm -hmm. okay, there is no way whatsoever you didn't think that 160 was going to be what 160 was. There was nothing surprising about 160. Sure. One, everything up to then literally handed the plot to you on a plate and said, this is what's happening next issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm surprised about. That people are like, it's spoiled. And it's like, if you were reading the story, there is nothing spoilery about the new story. Nothing. Dude, I, to- I totally... I It's like... I'll have to take your word for that, but I still honestly feel that if you're watching three acts of a play and then suddenly someone like shows you the last five minutes, like that's kind of that is to me that is a a spoiler. 
I don't know, it's maybe not a spoiler in the traditional sense of this is something that you wouldn't have known if you hadn't read this thing, but it is... Well, it's, a, of... it's a spoiler in the sense of you have had your experience spoiled, quote-unquote, because you have jumped, you have been shown something out of sequence. Mm-hmm. Which will which will change the way you're reading it. I, I agree with that. But it's not a spoiler in any plot sense whatsoever. Yes. And that seems to be what people were reacting to. Mm. And it's like, no. <laughs> like, if you've read the comic up until this point, you, there's no way that a news story saying he dies at the hands of the Green Goblin is right. going to surprise you. Because at this point, he was near death at the end of issue 159. And then the last page is the Green Goblin appears. I mean, what did people think was going to happen? That he was going to fight the Green Goblin, win, and then, like, I don't know, have a really bad burger? (laughs) Well, no, there could have been a spiritual death type of thing. He could have, like, done something where he, like, killed the Green Goblin and was filled with so much remorse about it that he actually quit being Spider-Man forever. Yeah, but, but the way that they had set up the circumstances in the previous issues, mm-hmm. there couldn't have been because he was he was shot like four issues earlier. He had been bleeding out that entire time, and he'd just been beaten the fuck up by five different supervillains. Like short of being like he is quite clearly about to keel over and die, right? They could not have actually made it any more clear that he was literally going to die. Yeah. Well, I I. That is that is definitely an important factor. Look at us. We're still talking about comics. I know. Um, if you're still recording, you can edit this at some point. Well, that, that's it. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to edit out our little burble of what are we doing and what's happening. But, uh, but that being said, yeah, now I get to actually wrap things up because I have to try and – it's like I'm going to interview Sean Cheeky. And I, I at this point, I'm like I haven't read his books in like – months and I've got to like look through them so that I can actually ask him questions about his characters and his character lines oh that like, you're just going to be like a real interviewer that, that never that never <laughs> goes well <laughs> thank you media expert for making me feel much better about this 